This is Peter. And this is Tom. And you're listening to History Teachers Talking Podcasts. All right, this is Peter Zablocki and Thomas Fresca, and welcome back to the podcast. What do we got, Tom? Well, today, kind of based on what's going on in the world, and you're, um, particularly um, the United States, obviously the world too, with the COVID vaccine, we figured it would be a good idea to kind of go back and look at the history of vaccines, some of the uh, more famous and more influential vaccines that have affected the human population over the to- over the course of the uh, centuries, and then also maybe look at some diseases that were actually wiped out by vaccines. Yeah, I think we probably should also mention a little bit about, I mean, the idea of like autism and and vaccines and kind of some of the controversies between vaccines and and I guess also at the same time, I don't think this podcast is meant to entice anyone. Um, no, we're not saying pro or, or against. This, yeah, this is just kind of the history. Of yeah. vaccines, they've been around for a lot longer than probably people think, in different ways, shapes, and forms. And that's what we're really going to look at because, in in some cases, they were uh, very successful. You can't argue that. We're just looking Absolutely. at the history. We're just looking at yep. the history of it. That's all this. We're just talking about some vaccines. You know, hopefully, a, a nice short episode for you guys. So, vaccines. Well, I think so, it's important to know that, yeah, like the story, they don't they don't begin. The first vaccine that's kind of like talked about or referenced the first vaccine was um, Edward Jenner, right? The idea he creates uh, materials from- By the way, this is uh, 1796. So yeah, this is like yeah. really a long time ago. So he uses cowpox, like the, these cowpox, uh, like the pus basically to provide protection against smallpox. But it actually starts long before that. A lot of this infectious disease that humans have- um, there are a lot of other ways they used to use um, smallpox bacteria to provide immunity for disease. I remember watching, what was that, um, the miniseries a long time ago. Remember John Adams? The miniseries? Yeah, yeah, good, good show. And what they did was they would show what they used to do a lot, how they would inoculate some people for smallpox. And his family, they got it this way, is they would take a um, someone who was more or less dying from smallpox and like cut off like some of those their sores, like those those yeah, pulses, like pus, right? like to take the pus, yeah. get the pus out. They would, they would yeah. cut, they would cut that, they would cut one of those off, like deep tissue, and kind of just smush it and boop it up, and then they would cut you very deep in your arm, like to the muscle, and then take this pus that was in there and just basically just like stick it underneath your arm and then wrap your arm up real tight, and you were going to get sick. Like that's what was going to happen. The idea is you're getting it when it's weaker, and then your immune system could fight off, and that's what a lot of people did. That's what John Adams. Um, wife and his children got done they got sick they all survived but you know it was kind of a you know controversial especially back then but that was one of the ways people do that let's we're going to infect you have your immune system fight it off you're going to get a weaker version that's kind of how the early vaccines were right it was a weaker version of the virus things change over time but there's evidence that exists that chinese employ a lot of these smallpox inoculations or stuff like that um as early as 1000 ce right it was practiced Mm -hmm. in africa and turkey as well before it ever spread to the america and uh, Europe and the Americas. So this was a common practice. Like again, vaccines or trying to combat illnesses like that by using the illness in some way is nothing new in human history. Yep. And I mean, I do want to touch upon a little bit about the so-called official, um, you know, Edward Jenner uh, vaccine discovery. As you mentioned, it is obviously by no means the first one. But yeah, I also know that Washington, George Washington was inoculated the same way, I'm pretty sure, with the smallpox vaccine. Yeah. Um, which does this idea is that it provides a live but Cult. kind of reduced virus, right? Yeah. So Jenner, however, and we kind of have to talk about smallpox too. I mean, smallpox yeah, ravaged 
the world. Like this was yeah. a horrible, horrible disease. And it's one that's pretty much eradicated now. They the said officially the one that is completely gone from the world, uh, except from two places. It's still a live virus in two different labs. One is in um, Russia and one is in the United States. Yeah, the only places like, uh, to have it. Yeah. yeah, in the world where the virus still exists. Is yeah, in because it was last state. reported naturally in um, 1977. Yep. So I think we'll, we'll get into, actually, that's a good segue, talk about smallpox. So let's get into Jenner and his view, um, or rather his discovery of a first vaccine for smallpox. And then we'll get into smallpox and talk a little bit about smallpox. So Jenner, Edward Jenner was an English country physician. And the term vaccine actually derives from a Latin word, uh, vaccinus, which means pertaining to cows. And there obviously is a reason for that, as you mentioned before. They said that, yes, he definitely didn't discover vaccines, but he kind of laid the groundwork for a field of how to immunize somebody. You know what I mean? Like the idea of immunity and creating herd immunity um, and definitely in this relation to smallpox. As you mentioned, he basically looked at dairy maids and realized that dairy maids were often infected with cowpox, which is a virus that is very similar to smallpox. Um, but it jumps from animals, including cows, to, but it could jump to humans. And all that it kind of causes is this mild infection. And usually it's just sores. So it was the same type of virus. It was just much weaker. And if a human being got this cowpox, again, it would be a rash and it would call it a day. So the way he looked at it, Jenner, that is, um, he thought, all right, let's take some of... So he cut this these bumps filled bumps. with like this That's thick better. fluid. Yep. Right, and stuff like that. Uh, first of all, it's the young dairy maid's name was Sarah Nelms, and he collects some f- a few drops of fluid right from her sores. That's the word I was looking for. And then he injects his fluid into a healthy young boy's arm, and then they're kind of waiting. It's a waiting game, right? So the first thing is the boy never was infected with uh, cowpox or smallpox, right? But he did develop a mild fever, some pain in the armpits shortly after this inoculation, which is considered like the first real inoculation. And then nine days later, he winds up getting the chills, loses his appetite, um, so on and so forth. But then Jenner waits two months, and that was like the big moment of truth. He then infects the boy with fluid from a fresh smallpox sore, which at the time was super deadly, which we're going to get into right now. So like the fact that he's doing this to this boy is kind of crazy. You know, it's like, yeah, you might live. Let's try this. And the boy never- He was a human guinea pig then. Literally. Like, yeah, and the boy never became- James Phillips. Yes, that James was the boy. Phillips was the yeah. boy's name, yeah. Um, and he never old. became sick. He was, And that's yep. when it was like, whoa, so if we could inject you with a lesser form of a virus, then you can become immune to it. And that's that was the basically fundamentals of having vaccination. I mean, this is kind of how would they use going forward. But let's talk about smallpox. I mean, smallpox is, I mean, again, we, we already said it's pretty much eradicated and it only exists in these two labs that are permitted to possess it. But what was smallpox? It was a horrible disease. Um, they don't really know when it started. Uh, they think it might have started in Egypt. But it's basically these bumps in, that were scabbed off the body would leave scars. It could kill you. Would, uh, could Even if you recovered from it, you'd have deep, deep scarring, which is actually something that the um, early – well, the vaccine used to do. A lot of times you'd that like circle scar that mm-hmm. a lot of people would see on their arm, particularly people yeah. who would come in um, from other countries. We have to get the smallpox vaccine if they didn't already have it. And it would leave like, kind of this indentation of a circle on their, on their shoulder. Um, in, in the early one, in the, uh, not, I wouldn't say early vaccines, but I guess vaccines up until like the eighties, right? Nowadays yeah. they don't really do it. They don't even, I don't, don't believe they even, um, give smallpox vaccines to children anymore. No, cause it's gone. 
I think we were some of the last ones to get it in like the yeah. 80s and stuff like that. It's We're dating ourselves, but because it's just eradicated, it doesn't exist anymore. But um, historically, I think this is also important to say that this was one of the first official biological warfare weapons, agents. Yes, yes. Smallpox. Yeah. They would, they would uh, take... Anyway, French and yeah, Indian War, the British were huge with this. Like This was like the British version of biological warfare. Remember, smallpox wipes out a, lot, a huge number of Native Americans also. Yep. I mean, that's yeah. something that we can talk about at some other time, too. This, we always talk about we're going to do one on like the Plains Indians and stuff like that. But, I mean, smallpox, they had no immunity to it whatsoever in their genes. So when, when that gets exposed to them, forget it. Yeah, it's kind of they started using it in the French and Indian Wars, um, 1750s, 1760s. And then also the British um, commanding officers ordered it, um, smallpox against Native Americans. But during American Revolutionary War, it was also used by our side. Namely, George Washington used it as well uh, to fight against Native Americans, which is nuts. You know that during World War II, scientists from uh, UK, US, and Japan actually were involved in research into producing like a biological weapon um, from smallpox that was supposed to be released into the air, uh, kind of like bombs that would explode above cities and towns. But the plans for this large-scale production were never really carried through because um, they considered the weapon by then the wide scale availability of the vaccine and the success of the vaccine kind of nullified it. Yeah, maybe that it wasn't worth it. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, well, all right, I guess we're not going to go through with that. Well, they find something else. <laughs> but, yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> to say the least. Again, yeah, just... I mean, this, is, this isn't a um, podcast about smallpox, but just no. it just how it was used and how it was seen. Like um, a lot of former U.S. presidents, like you said, Washington, Jackson, Lincoln, they all contract and recover from the disease. Yeah. So like, it was very common for people to get it and um, being get badly scarred from it. You hear, let's say, like pox marks and stuff like that. That's one reason why they would a lot of times, even men during this that time, the 1700s, would make up and stuff to kind of cover all their those marks that they had from when they had smallpox. It, it scarred you. If you survived it, it was not like you just like woke up and you were fine. You, and we should also say that smart. it took a long time like to eradicate this thing. I mean, we know for a fact this thing existed like 3,000 years ago. And we know this because of uh, kind of you know a little touching back to our old podcast. Um, Mummy, right? Ramses yeah. the fifth, uh, which is, um, you know, Ramses the fifth died more than 3,000 years ago. And essentially when we studied the Egyptian mummy of Ramses, we figured out that he want, you know, based on DNA stuff, he had smallpox. Um, and again, that's 3,000 years ago, which is crazy. But as you mentioned also, this is – so besides Egypt, there's also writings that – medical writings from ancient India and China, um, which kind of specify that this has been around for a long time. All right. So let's talk about um, – let's talk some other diseases that we could potentially well, – I think uh, another one of the major one that I think was a major vaccine that really changed um, the world was mm-hmm. definitely um, the rabies vaccine, right? In 1885, yep. by Louis Pasteur, and Louis Pasteur has a couple of different vaccines. He's actually, you know, he created a few different ones or helped create a few different ones. But I think again, you hear of rabies now, and but rabies was a big problem, also, um, mm-hmm. like the, especially just the risk of getting bitten by an animal. It's still around there, getting bit by an animal that has rabies, but it was almost like a death sentence, um, and it still is if you get it. But if you get the vaccine, if you get the shots within a short amount of time after you get bitten by an animal, that's pretty much what they do no matter what now. If you get bit by a wild animal, they're going to say, well, you're going to, if they don't even test you for rabies, they're just like, they're going to give you the rabies shot first and test you for rabies later because you need to have that in your system. You get it from bats, right? That was a big problem, I know. But in most countries, it was with wild dogs carried disease. In some countries, uh, wild dogs, 99% of them carried rabies 
at one time or another. It's just nuts if you think about that. Yep. Did you read about how, like, he actually went about doing it, Pastor? Like, I mean, prevented rabies in nine-year-old Joseph Maester, I guess. Who got bit by who got bit by a dog? Yeah. Right. So they're saying that yeah, the the mother brought this boy severely bitten by you know a dog and. Pastor kind of hopes to prevent this disease, and there's several factors though, that supposedly made Pastor's potential involvement in the boy's care kind of controversial. Uh, one was the fact that when he apl- said this to his mother, like, okay, I could save your son, he actually never used this successfully, this vaccine that he created. They said that before it was successful, he used the vaccine on a human twice, right? And this is indicated in Pastor's um, notebooks. Um one involved a six-year-old man who left the hospital after only one injection and never returned. So he like never really knew if this what vaccine happened, yeah. worked. Uh, the other was a 10-year-old girl that he treated with one injection, and she died before the second it could be given. At the time, this is you know 1885, I think. This yeah, it's is untested. A lot of people don't believe it's somewhat this. tested. They, they didn't have like the tested on what two people like. Yep. <laughs> Usually there's a lot more. There wasn't as much government oversight over vaccines no, as there no, is now. No, it was super controversial. I mean, the, the thought of injecting a human being with a disease agent, you know what I mean? Even a weekend one was like not only new, but it was like super controversial. Like, wait, what are you doing? There's there's a disease. You're, you're basically making my daughter sick. Like, what are you doing? So 1800s. You know, Rabies was like a horrible disease. Like yeah. it was it was a violent, like attacking, you know, disease that attacked basically like the, um, inflam- it made the, inflamed the brain. So. Yeah. Did you know that Pastor was actually a scientist, right? Not a physician, which is very important. It's because when the mother brought this um, boy over and he's like, all right, let me try this, you know, this new vaccine I have on him. Um, If this boy did not survive, he would have been trialed for murder or manslaughter rather. Do you know what I mean? Like, because of the fact that he doesn't uh, have to. Exactly. He wasn't a medical doctor. doctor, Yeah. 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 So crazy. I think it was 13 injections, by the way, for the first, get, first even, one. Even now, I believe it's several injections into like your stomach, right? Yeah. Um, your liver and things Ooh. like that, right? It's, it's not like it's, – it's still a intense vaccine. It's not just like a one-shot-in-the-arm type of vaccine. Yep. I don't believe. From That's what I crazy. saw, they were saying it's still like a lot. But it was like a disease that like if you got it, it was like a 95% death rate if you had it. Nice. Like if you had full blown rabies, you weren't recovering from it. Your body wasn't recovered for it. And I think one of the last persons in um, the United States to die from it, when it hadn't happened for years, was in 2011 actually, from a man in Utah. But they said he had extensive exposure to bats. He was basically bitten by bats and lived with bats for a long time. Hmm. And that's so he just had like rabies, but he had like a lot of rabies. Basically, they said. Ooh. Did you know that there's actually a cool end to that story because um, the boy winds up never developing rabies. Um, the incident is regarded as a success. We have the first vaccine against rabies, but later in life, the boy, as an old man, worked as a caretaker of Pastor's tomb in Paris. Eh, full, full circle. circle. Full circle. What? All right. What's another one we got? Well, you know, I think I, I think the one we really need to talk about, and I feel like whether you know whether we talk about it now or later, we definitely need to get it out of the way, and that is polio. Yes, uh, that's a big one. Yes. Oh, uh, you know, polio is huge, and and polio. In itself, that's another one too. Like just, just ravaged people. It lives. So polio is a viral infection, right? It lives inside a person's throat initially and intestines. And one in four people who catch the disease uh, develop flu-like symptoms. And most of the time, one in four of these, right? The symptoms are just kind of like, oh, I have the flu and it goes away. But the three out of four, so three quarters of the people that get polio suffer severe effects, which include 
paralysis and respiratory failure. Um, Iron lungs, right? Yeah, I was going to get to that. So some, if you guys want, if you guys are out there listening to this, you just Google this. But some infected children would spend weeks inside these like giant machines called iron lungs. And if you Google them, they look like something out of this world. They basically, the head would be out and everything else would be in this like incubator. And what the incubator did was like constrict air, basically. It like took your whole body. Yeah, press it down. Yeah, and like press it down and then move it up. They would change the pressure of the air in there um, and literally make you breathe. Yeah, you used to see them a lot. I remember in like the the Bugs Bunny cartoons after like Wally Coyote got like crushed by like his own inventions. Yeah, at the end, yep, yep. they always say like inside yeah, exactly. Acme Iron Lung, and you see them inside those. That's what I remember seeing that as, as like a kid and watched that. And I remember reading a story not too long ago about there's like still like one guy in the United States that still uses an iron lung. And wow. Like it's really difficult now because like you can't get the parts for it, so you have to like huh. buy the parts off like eBay and things like that. What? Yeah, that's well, crazy. There's so much new tech, you know, newer technology. Plus, polio is also. Mostly eradicated for them. Well, from the United States, is gone. Yeah, yeah actually, the, the last States, reported right. case of polio in the U.S. was in like early 1990s, and the reason is because the patient actually contracted a disease abroad. Um, but it, by 1979, the disease was considered eliminated completely from the United States, and that's just think about it. And that's only since the vaccine was really introduced. Silk vaccine was really introduced in 1950. You know, like 50. Five really. Oh, it was a massive campaign, yeah. And you see, yeah. like, it, it, you'd see like newspaper headlines basically talking about how effective the vaccine was, like saying like this. Works, oh, they got, they have, yeah, like, like encouraging people to do it because it was a huge epidemic, and you would have thirty thousand people dying. I mean, a lot of them were children too, like dying every yeah. year. So they needed something. They needed to have this, and it was, um, yeah, it was a very, um, again, controversial, but also like relief when they realized it had some sort of vaccine for yeah. a lot of parents. Like, like now you don't have to worry about my child getting sick and they might contract polio. Yeah, I mean, NPR, just kind of both of those, according to NPR, 3,000 U.S. children died from polio in 1952 alone. 50s was like a big one. Right before the vaccine was invented, it was really where a lot of this spiked. And then going back to this PR idea that you just mentioned, Elvis Presley, there's a picture out on, on, if you could probably Google it, um, it basically is this picture of Elvis Presley, like kind of, you know, smiling at this nurse who's like probably twice his age, but um, as a doctor injects him with polio vaccine. And this is backstage of the Ed Sullivan show in New York, right? So like he goes on a show and he's photographed and filmed getting vaccinated. Like it was such a huge campaign. And, and in fact, the polio deaths in the early 50s were so common that companies would sell polio insurance to parents of newborns. Like if you were, you know, your kid was just born, you get like a, like a little pamphlet in the mail, like, hey, here's polio insurance, you know, that for that day when your child might become, you know, it's, it's nuts, right? Like paralyzed. This is insane. But it spread rapidly, uh, obviously, amongst younger populations because it was transmitted orally. So they said it was easy to be transmitted in places like public swimming pools and daycare centers and so on and so forth, which kind of, you know, allowed for that to, to grow. But if you look at the history of polio, there is, um, and this is from like hieroglyphics. So this is another thing that's kind of crazy when you look at this. They're thinking, again, going back to Egypt, like there is Egyptian paintings and cave carvings that depict otherwise healthy people that are young with withered limbs and children walking yeah, the, with canes the at a young yeah, age. The bow-legged. Yeah, and they're like, all right, it's been around for thousands of years. This is kind of interesting too, because prior, before 20th century, right, polio infections were very rarely seen. In infants before six months of age at all, and most cases occurred to kids like that are anywhere like under four years old. But 
poor sanitation in like 19th and 18th, 19th century. So I'm talking 1700s and 1800s. Um, poor sanitation resulted in constant exposure to the virus, which actually enhanced the natural immunity, like almost like a herd immunity with the populations of Europe, um, as well as the United States for, against polio, which is why you didn't really hear about polio that much in the 1800s. It was kind of subdued because actually people were dirtier and therefore exposed to it more and it kind of became immune to it. And then what happens starts to happen is as nations start to develop, European nations and the United States, 1900s really like develop, late 1800s, early 1900s. They said that in developed countries during the late 19th and early 20th century, because these improvements were made in community sanitations, like better sewage disposal, clean water supplies, so on and so forth, um, these changes actually increased the proportion of children and adults at risk of, um, you know, getting polio infections because it reduced ch the childhood exposure and immunity to the disease. And that's when you start seeing these like localized polio epidemics appear in Europe and the United States around 1900. And then you have outbreaks that reaches pandemic proportions in Europe, North America, Australia um, by 1950, you know, which is like the peak. They say by 1950 is the peak of the epidemic. And this epidemic is now gone I mean, like I said, it's eradicated since the 70s in the United States due to a successful vaccine. Greetings from Evergreen Podcasts. We're rolling out a listener survey and we want to hear from you. The information in the survey will help us gather statistics and in turn make our shows more appealing to advertisers. I know most people don't like ads, but this is one of the only ways our shows make money and help keep their lights on. We promise it will only take a few minutes, but the impact on our podcasts will be tremendous. As a token of our appreciation, we'll randomly select one lucky participant each month to win an exclusive merchandise package from Evergreen Podcasts. Head to evergreenpodcast.com slash listener survey to help a show and possibly get some free stuff for doing so. We can't thank you enough for the support. Now back to the show. Although that's like big, do you know that that's like Bill Gates' big thing now? He's trying to get rid of polio from the world. They want to get well because there's several countries um, that actually you can't even travel to unless you have the polio vaccine. You have to prove that you have it because they won't even let you in the country. And there's other countries that still have this big um, distrust, like uh, parts of Pakistan and parts of Afghanistan, where the Taliban controls. They don't they don't trust the vaccine. And actually, there was like doctors who were administering the vaccine actually were killed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's a couple on those cases, so it makes it much harder. There's um, three major regions, uh, basically in um, parts of Africa and parts of the Middle East that are still considered um, endemic countries when it comes to, not pandemic, but endemic countries when it comes to um, polio. That They still have yeah. outbreaks and stuff there. I mean, it's very hard to get to get it out to um, administer the vaccine because so many people are distrusting. And yes, they even distrust uh, Bill Gates, a lot of them, because they think He's got like computer chips and the vaccine and stuff like that. Yeah. And although it was mostly um, children and especially infants that were uh, most affected, the most famous adult affected probably uh, was the future president, Franklin D. Roosevelt. Um, yeah. He was stricken with polio at the age of 39 in 1921, which left um, him partially paralyzed. He later transformed when... his estate, would you hear about this, like Warm Springs, Georgia, yeah. into like a recovery retreat for polio victims. He was in pain a lot for polio too. Yeah, like it was never really reported as much as when he was um, president. But there was oh, he had polio. It kind of limits his ability to walk. No, he could not walk. He was in a wheelchair. And that wasn't really publicized as much 
you know, during his presidency as much as it is known after the fact. But yeah. yeah and he also is the reason why so much money, he was also the yeah. reason why so much, so many funds um, were raised for polio related research. And the guy that creates the, the vaccine, um, his name was Salk, right? Salk? Yeah. The last name of Salk? I want to say it was Dr. Jo- uh, Jonas Salk. Jonas. Oh, yeah. Jonas. That's what it was. So Dr. Jonas uh, Salk actually um, initially kind of was a medical student. And during World War II, he was de- helping develop the flu vaccine. And then right post-war, he is kind of like chosen to become the head of this research laboratory in Pittsburgh um, and is given a grant by the federal government to study the polio virus. What's really cool about this is that once he creates the virus, he could patent it like if he wanted to. You know what I mean? Like he could become a very, very wealthy guy and he chooses not to. Yeah, because that was like a famous thing we were talking about that. Yeah, because he wanted to get rid of it for that's yeah. not why he did it. Yeah, he goes, I did argument. it so I could get rid of and eradicate this disease. Like I, I want to help cure children and prevent the disease. So instead of getting paid for it, like he just released it and said any company could make this vaccine go. And they did, you know, and that's why there was this such a huge um you know, campaign to get it going because any company could make this vaccine because he didn't patent it. Like he was like, you can't patent something like this. Go. And I mean, again, in today's day and age, someone's going to patent it. <laughs> yeah. Someone's making money off this. But it's also, there'll be like rival companies like what you have with the COVID vaccines, like multiple yeah. companies creating it, right? Yep. Their own, their own versions of it. Um, all right. What else do you have? Mumps? Well, I think, an- I think another, well, well, one that kind of carries with mumps is the measles vaccine, right? Yes. Yep. Because the, me- the measles vaccine, you can actually, um, you can get it by itself, but you can also get it with a uh, MMR, the MMR vaccine, which is a combination of several vaccines, mm-hmm. the rubella vaccine, the mums vaccine, um, also a variation with chickenpox vaccine. They kind of put it all together, um, more or less, right? Kind of in like a yeah. cocktail, if you want to say it that way. And that that's kind of given to people. Uh, because measles is another one of those like really um, infectious diseases that um, people don't usually develop an immunity to right away. Um, so you need to have a vaccination. And it's one that's pretty much, it was declared um, Iraq in the United States in what, 2016, I believe. You know, there's mm-hmm. been a few cases. And they're thinking one reason why a lot of these cases were, uh, again, people traveling abroad or people coming in from other countries that had the va- that hadn't, have not yet had the vaccine and brought the disease back with them. So they were seeing um, some things with it with that. But the... Um, the history of the vaccine, again, it's um, based on John Franklin Enders, who shared uh, a lot of his medical work. He won the Nobel, Peace, uh, Nobel Prize in Medicine for his work on the polio virus mm-hmm. and some of the other viruses. And um, one of the people who basically got information from the Fay School was Thomas C. Uh, uh, Pebbles. And um, he basically was the one that helped create this vaccine, kind of isolate the materials that they needed to be able to use it. And the vaccine was developed uh, based on that, yep. based off of an 11-year-old boy's uh, virus. Yeah. And Edmondson, the idea of combining these, I mean, strain. and the, but they had, you know, we also have to say that there were s- successful standalone vaccines for measles, which was in 63, mumps, which was 67, yeah. and rubella. Rubella, am I saying that right? But yeah, but the MMR one is the one that's probably most people 69. listen to this, but yeah, are, are getting yeah. because it, it was a combination. Like we can, these are, the diseases were very similar. They were able to yeah. iso- isolate these strands. It really is like, fascinating to look at it and like hear about how they create these things and this is on the microscopic level that they're figuring this stuff out you know yeah there's eight, 1989 is when they officially uh created this like 
in a sense that all right, there's a second. We they also decide like this isn't something you take in in one dosage. Like this yeah, is so, yeah, you get one, which one of them was actually said it was about ninety two percent effective. But then you get that second, right? The booster shot. You get that mm-hmm. booster shot. I always remember hating to get those. Remember when you were like a little kid? Yeah. You got the one shot and you knew you had it. We we're gonna have yeah, to come yeah, back yeah. in like a couple of weeks for another one. You're like, oh man. Dude, I mean, I don't. There's do a big list like... of there's a big list of vaccinations now. I remember when you know my first son was born. You're just looking at the list of all these things they're getting vaccinated for, and you're like, wow, like yeah, wow. I'm pretty sure you don't like. I mean, when I was little, I had chicken pox. I don't think you're gonna have chicken pox anymore. I think you don't hear about it as much. You don't hear about because it. there's I mean, vaccine. I'm pretty sure my yeah. kid will never. Well, yeah, he was vaccinated. He'll never have chicken yeah, pox. You're vaccinated I mean, for it. I remember having chicken pox, and it's oh sucked, yeah, I me- man. I remember getting it. Yeah, I remember. People would be, remember it used to be chicken pox parties. Parents would be like, all right, someone, so and so has a chicken yeah, pox. Which I'm not sure how smart of an idea that probably was. I know, but it was but like, go over their house and let's get this out of the way. Yeah. Yeah, I did. Like people did to that. It. I remember South Park did an episode on that where like, they found out that's where their parents wanted them to do that. So they got mad and then um, put another virus on their parents' toothbrush and make sure they all got this other virus. <laughs> I'm not going to say the virus, but it begins with an H and ends with a P. Oh, nice, but, nice, um, nice. But uh, but yeah, no, they, that was a real thing for those of you guys listening yeah. that are young enough. Uh, they used to have these these chicken pox parties where they would be like, "Hey, Johnny has a his house, everyone, and we're going to get sick, and you guys are all quarantine at home, and you won't have to worry about it again." Because if you get chicken pox when you're younger, it's actually not so it, bad. Like, but if nothing. you get chicken pox yeah. rather when you're older, it could kill you. It could kill you. Well, it, could be, yeah. it, it could become a shingles, right? Yep, that's what it was. Yeah. So. Yeah, vaccine. I mean, this is nuts. So just like you said, like this has this is more than one booster. Just like, so I had I got I got uh, Pfizer of COVID. I got both of my shots a while back, but I'm now hearing the news that I'm probably going to need a booster. Did you get Pfizer or did you get Moderna, Tom? Mine was the Moderna, I believe. Yeah, Moderna. See, so you're probably not as of now. Need a, I'm going to need a booster, um, but we'll see. I mean, it's like trying to get my kids to get shots, dude. Like Landon literally climbed when he was little. Um, my son, he's, I was trying to hold him and he was climbing over me and he like climbed over my back and he's like a Spider-Man upside down, down my back. And I finally turn around, I look at the nurse and she's standing there with the needle. Right. And she's like, um, just like yeah, let's do you this. really expect yeah. me to give him a shot this way? And I'm like, nope, I'll fix it. You know, but I'm petrified. Oh, yeah, so you have to like hold your kid down while they're getting like a oh, needle they're screaming. And then you promise things you shouldn't promise. Like, you know, back in the day, it was like, I'll take you to Toys R Us. But now I can't even say that because no more Toys R Us. Future podcast. Future podcast. Bam. Stores. What do we call it? We should call it stores and that are no longer here. Stores and businesses. Stores of yesteryear. Stores of yesteryear. That's a good one. I like that. There you go. All right, Tommy. What else we got? Um, We talked. So we we just hit up Mums, Measles, and Rubella. Like, dude, that just, that just, Took it all out in one shot. Well, that took out a bunch. Well, again, because that's what they have now. They have these um, vaccines that are able to get these horrible diseases knocked out. And you just think of all these different diseases that are out there that are just, you know, waiting to take you out, you know? But I think another one that was a pretty common, um, that was killing people, particularly if you were older, was tetanus. Yes. Right? And this is still like a um, vaccine. It's kind of similar to the rabies vaccine is that it's not just one or two doses. It's actually five doses are recommended for tetanus, sometimes a sixth later on in adolescence. And um, usually you're immune after three, but you're actually going to get these over the course of several years of tetanus shots. And sometimes if you're exposed, you know, if you might get some that they say, oh, you might need a tetanus shot, you're going to get an extra one. You know, yeah. this injuries. one's been around for a while. This is one of those very first yeah. vaccines. This is 1924. Um, and it came into common use really f- in 
didn't really become super common until World War II. It was used for soldiers. I mean, um, it literally decreased uh, tetanus in soldiers from World War One to World War Two. American soldiers died by ninety five percent rate of tetanus. It was a, it was a highly effective one. Yeah, yeah. You know, how about this one? Because I sort of when I was looking at this, I, I you know researching for this, I also came across this idea of creating immunity to in poisons. Like, is it possible? For you, like you see this, you know, sometimes and historically you've seen this, this actually happened in Egypt. I forgot the guy's name where he started um, trying to take poison every day to like make himself more immune um, to it. Yeah, I've heard that too. To There's this, there was um, King Mithridates or something, Mithridates. He had, he had some of those. There also was a guy who used to purposely like let himself get bit by snakes just a little bit. That's crazy. And um, so he slowly builds up like the anti-venom in his body to the point where like now if a snake bites him, he's just like fine. doesn't doesn't even affect him because your body just is ready for it. So by the way, so I did, I, I kind of, you know, it takes you into like, all right, now click next, 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 next. And because now I was curious. So that totally took me off the tangent. So since I spent time on it, researching his podcast, I'm going to talk about it. FYI, if you take a little bit of poison. Um, don't, don't, don't talk about people taking poison. No, I'm not, not saying you should like, take poison, Tom. You're going to give just, people just, ideas here. No, bro. no, this is this is a legitimate. I got this from a, a scientific study. Uh, the answer is, if you take poison, you do not become immune to it if you take a little bit of poison, just so we're on the okay. same page. That okay, is good. actually an urban legend. Quite frankly, most poisons or stuff that are in poison um, become stored in the fatty acids of a person's body. And what happens is they never actually go away. Per se, it takes a yeah, long yeah, yeah. time. So they're saying if you take, un- like, I'll take a little dosage here, and next week I'll take another dosage and another dosage. All you're really doing is just it's being stored in your body, which means ultimately at some point you are actually going to overdose on that yeah. poison and kill yourself. Um, some scientific studies say that it may stimulate the body into like upping its output of, um, I guess, you know, the output of like immunity. But all it's simply doing is that it takes a little longer to kill you, but it still really, really kills you. So well, it's still a poison. It's still a. It's still a yeah. outside agent that's coming yeah. into your body. It, it's gonna. It's gonna mess you up. This is kind of off tangent too, but this made me think of when like we study in the jungle, you know, and you talk about like industrialization and stuff in the United States, how they used to have. Um, before you have like food and drug administration, how you they used to literally put bread that was laced with rat poison and throw it over like cut meat in butcher shops and, and warehouses across the United States to try to fight the rat infestation. And then the rats would run around the meat, eat this poison, and then altogether just die on the meat and everything would go in a grinder and they would like make sausage. That was before, you know, food and drug administration. It's insane. Good job they stepped in. Yeah, you know, again, it's been a while since we went off tangent on these podcasts. So it was time. It was time. Yeah, yeah. We were sticking to it for a while. Yeah, we were were good. We've been good. Well, we have those. I guess we can talk about like um, just briefly. Like I know I guess we're sounding – we're talking about the vaccines and how people get them and stuff like that. But there are also a lot of uh, people who don't trust vaccines. We touched on a little bit. And there are adverse side effects at some times. Like typically most – Doctors will say that they are safe, but there are, there are side effects no matter what. Like you're going to get because you are getting your body's having a reaction to it. It's mm-hmm. fighting off the virus in some cases, or it's replicating the proteins to fight the virus. So you are going to have side effects a lot of times, like fever, pain around the injection site, muscle aches. Some people are actually allergic to the vaccines ingredients in the vaccine, 
Yeah. So a lot there's of times, one particular, yeah. it's a mercury based that goes yeah. into many vaccines. Most of the vaccines actually until like 2000, mid 2000s contained this uh, specific ingredient called thymo, thymerosol. I'm probably totally yeah, butchering that. Um, and it was a mercury based preservative that was used to kind of prevent contamination of multi-dose vials um, of vaccines. And it went to most vaccines and research. That's really the one that one specific ingredient that was attached to um, this thought that vaccines would contribute to ADHD. And uh, because of the levels of mercury within them. However, it is interesting that um, between 1999 and 2001, um, this soul or whatever was removed uh, in all childhood vaccinations, except some flu vaccines still have it. But for the most part, it was removed. Therefore, scientifically speaking, um, apparently there is no correlation between autism um, and vaccines. However, it is also, I should note, based on my research into this, a topic that is, according to the CDC, it's a hot topic. yeah, it's still being, it's not like it's a close case. It's not like they're saying vaccines don't, but they're not saying the vaccines do. They're saying they don't, but we're still looking into it. Yeah, they're still That's looking crazy. into it. They're still going to explore. Because I think, believe the doctor who originally wrote the paper has since come out and said he's changed his stance. I should have yeah. actually looked up his name. But um, yeah, it, it's it's one of those issues that even if, I think even if it's proven one way or the other, people are still not going to believe it, no matter which one it is. Yeah, you know, once, you, you, once you, you send when, that Depending out on where you, before you are, once it's out there, it's out there. And a lot of times people aren't going to, they're just going to believe what they want or they're going to find information to back what they want. And that's, you know, that's, that is what it is. Yeah. In, in, some, in some cases. Um, there is technically today, 14 infectious diseases, according to uh, the CDC, um, that were once very prevalent in the U.S. before the development of vaccines for each of them. Um, I'm probably going to mispronounce some of them, but the diseases that are pretty much eradicated, more or less, because of vaccines are obviously polio, tetanus, flu, hepatitis B, hepatitis A, rubella, hib, measles, uh, whooping cough, um, Rotavirus, mumps, chickenpox, you know, these diseases were once considered epidemics and they no longer are due to the fact that vaccines were created for them. And developing vaccines is really not that, you know, it's, it's a process. So uh, the path that researchers have to take with a potential vaccine is very much defined and overseen by the FDA. Um, and once researchers create a potential vaccine, the producer must apply with the FDA and first describing right. the product but also the manufacturing process and importantly, it's effectiveness in animal testing. So it's almost like they have to basically say this works on animals before FDA approves for them to go into the three clinical trials. And the clinical trials are kind of laid out in phases. And this is regardless whether we're talking about COVID or any, this is, this just, well, this usually is takes, well, a little difference is this usually takes years to do. Yeah. But with, with you know COVID, what I read as to why it takes streamlined. years. And and I so there's three phases, right? And I'll tell you kind of what I at least read about the time wise time frame. But phase one is evaluates the vaccine safety and ability to generate just an immune system response. It's a very small group of people seeing, hey, does this work on humans? Does this work? Um, if it doesn't work on humans, phase one over vaccines done. If it does work on a few group of people, you know, or humans, it does generate immune system response. Then it goes to phase two, and now you're specifically selecting hundreds 
of people and to determine the right dosage level. So the first yeah. phase is viral does, load, right? All that exactly, stuff. right? First dosage, just like, does it create immunity? Second one is, okay, what dosage does needed? And you use hundreds of people for that. And then phase three, this is where you test thousands of people. And now you're analyzing the safety and effectiveness of the drug on the overall population. And once these results of the clinical trials are available, um, only then can the vaccine itself be released to the public. However, what's happening with the coronavirus, There, you have some, um, you know, this process was, as you said, kind of sped up a lot. And you have some emergency usage where, you know, you know, you're kind of going out there when before you're done with all these phases. But I've also it's read also an RNA vaccine, which is much different. Yes, um, it's not. It's not actually using the virus. It's using like the the um, like the DNA particles or something. Yeah, like composed it of the, the DNA. Uh, nucleic acid. Yeah, the RNA, the nucleic acid. And what it does is your body starts to create an immune system when your DNA recognizes the agent. I mean, the science here is this again. We're history teachers, right? Um, yeah. So this is, this is a little bit out of our uh, out of our, yeah, but, but it's still, I, I do find it very interesting. It's one of those things that's like the fact that the human race can create antibodies, can create virus, can create these antibiotics, anti, you know, viruses and yeah, it's nuts. these vaccines that go after, you know, these microscopic agents that are, you know, ravaging our society. All right. It's, it's, crazy. it's very interesting. But a few things. There is like a genetic recipe uh, that is designed to make vaccines now, which it makes the creation of vaccines actually very quick, which is also why the coronavirus vaccine was created like a year ago. And I mean, we're recording this podcast pretty much a year after the highest level of coronavirus. You know, So we're in April of 2021, um, when it's really spiked in the US was April 2020. Um you know, vaccine was created fairly quickly. It just needed to go through these phases. Um, they weren't going to just trials, release yeah. it. They needed to do this. And they're saying, based on what I read, that it went the vaccinations for COVID were kind of sped up in the sense that a lot of the bureaucracy uh, hurdles were away. removed. You know, and that's what allowed for it to be jumping between these phases much quicker. Because There's a lot of cooperation was, between a lot exactly. of um, different world, different scientists from around the world. We're all yeah. working together. It wasn't just like kind of in their isolation in their in their own so, labs. So you know what? Let's uh, let's hope that um, one day someone will make a podcast and talk about diseases that once were, but they're now gone because of vaccines. And hopefully, um, the one that we are living with right now becomes one of those diseases. Yeah, it's always good when you hear another one uh, bites the dust when some other ones are put on that list. Yeah. So yeah, and obviously you know there's some setbacks like J J and J. Taking a little pause, um, out of seven, was it? I think it was said seven million people were um, immunized by the Johnson and Johnson, and six people developed blood clots. So they they paused it for now because there is a chance. So again, just some news. I I mean I, I'm done. You got anything else? No, I think I think that was we were pretty straightforward there. Awesome. All right, take care, everyone. Stay safe. I hope everyone enjoyed our podcast, and if you would like to email us, you can do so at historyteacherspodcast at gmail.com. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. 
you might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.